So welcome to the first ever episode of the New Future podcast, where we talk with researchers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders across a wide variety of industries and sectors about what comes next. I'm Kate rain Scoldy, And I'm Kate Rizdavina. So because this is our first ever episode, uh, we should probably introduce ourselves. We'll actually introduce each other. So Kate was uh, previously CFO of one of the biggest tech companies in Australia, which she did in her 20s. So probably one of the youngest CFOs, especially of a major tech company. Um, and Kate also has a strong interest in psychology and is super passionate about redesigning the workplace to work for women and children and families. And Kate Rains Goldie is a futurist, researcher, writer, TEDx speaker, and also a certified facilitator of Lego Series Play, uh, which um, is an innovation and creativity tool used um, by major brands worldwide, including IKEA, Virgin, and Samsung. Now, Kate is also a visionary thinker. And she did her PhD on Facebook and was one of the first in the world to research social media and its impact on culture and society in her 20s. <laughs> Yay us. <laughs> um, so I think another thing we should also start with is why are we doing this podcast? Why are we doing it now? Um, why, why is this an important thing to be talking about? And we kind of started talking a bit about before we uh, started, started the episode. Um, about why this is such an important topic, you know, the new future of the that idea of what comes next. So what do you think, Kate? Why are we doing this now? Well, we uh, I'm sure we have both been uh, talking to many, many people uh, about some of the ideas that um, we um, have and we share. Um, and... Um, we feel that now with this coronavirus happening and everyone, pretty much all the media uh, and all the big thinkers and academics and the CEOs and everyone really, um, just really taking the time to rethink what, what, is, what, what is the world going to look like in the future? Mm. Um, are we just all taking a, a short holiday or are we actually going to they're living in a completely new world. Um, yeah, and you were, you're saying you start you're starting to see kind of a shift in in like the the the, um, the coverage that you're reading from being kind of like reactionary to proactive and thinking about okay we've gone we've gone through this we're kind of starting to see the end of it what ha you know what what happens next so we're starting to think about the future and realize that this isn't going we're, there isn't we're not going to go back to the way it was before. Yeah, just even a short scan of uh, the main media news outlets, the consensus um, seems to be that we're not just going to go back to the way we were. This is not just a little holiday. Um, things are going to really look differently. And we're talking about everything, really, the way we live, the way we work. Um, it has implications, really, for so many uh, areas of our life, the real estate, the infrastructure, um, education, travel, uh, entertainment, you name an area, it's all affected. Mm, yeah. So we, we felt that um, it would be great to actually start talking to the, the visionaries, the key leaders in the, in the different areas uh, of life to see what, what their views are on, on the big shifts. Mm. Yeah, I like to describe it as um, there's that saying, you know, if you don't like how the table is set, then flip the table. 
So we flipped the table, like uh, consciously or otherwise, you know, I think we've kind of had the table flipped on us. And so it's like, okay, well, are we going to set the table back the way that it was before? Or are we going to use this opportunity to do something new? And I think people are like, yeah, we need to, you know, around climate change, around... And this is some of the stuff that we've talked about, about um, changing the, the way that like redesigning works so that it works for everybody um, and using this as an opportunity to fix a lot of the things that um, were broken before. And that feeling of like anything is possible now, you know, all, there's all of these changes that normally would have taken forever. Um, and I was listening to a podcast last night and they were talking, it was like kind of a branding marketing expert. And the language she used that I thought was so interesting was she said, um, people have habit loops. So they have habits, you know, like they go and get the coffee every morning. And the way that kind of brands, a lot of brands or a lot of the marketing works is maintaining habit loops around people's purchasing patterns. And so just thinking about that more broadly about all of our habit loops have been completely broken. And it's usually really hard to change those. So it's like, now that we've done that, it's like we can do, you know, we've done like the hard thing has happened. So it's like creating more positive habit loops for us. Um, yeah, so I think, so for this episode, we're kind of interviewing each other because we've both been thinking and researching and talking in this space. Um, so to kind of contextualize where we're thinking. And then in future episodes, we're actually um, going to be interviewing, yeah, key leaders, key thinkers who are thinking about the new future of work or the new future of presenting leadership, all of the different industries and getting their their um, perspective on what comes next. So really exciting. Um so for now, I think the first question uh, we want to talk about um, is, um, and I love this question, this is from, um, from you, Kate, was uh, what is the biggest event that shaped your life? For me, it would definitely have to be the birth of my son. I've got a six-year-old um, son, and um, before I had him, I was, uh, um, I guess, a crazy workaholic, <laughs> and um quite naive I guess I thought oh, I'm not sure what um, what all the women are complaining about I'm not sure what their problem is I think it's great there's no glass ceiling there's no problem <laughs> it's really easy actually to have a fantastic career as long as you work hard but yeah the moment I had my son uh, I realized that um, wow there's yeah I felt like there's a whole world out there that I had no idea existed um, and um, with, um, I guess I was almost forced into um, learning psychology and neuroscience. I was, um, I guess, just as I put a lot of energy in the past into my work, I've put equally a lot of energy into researching like um, neuroscience and psychology and what do I need to do as a parent to make my baby, to turn my baby into a genius. <laughs> Because almost every new parent yeah. has that idea that their baby is going to be the genius baby. So I've done a lot of research into it. And yeah, it's um, quite interesting. But the biggest um, piece seems to be love and attention. Um, that's what feeds a human brain, really, in, in terms of brain development. All the neuroscience, all the research points to exactly that. And um, so then I started thinking, well, this is quite interesting because... Um, um, my work requires me to be at work all the time, whereas if my baby's 
psychological development and mental health depends on me actually being there a lot and putting a lot of time and into um, helping helping him grow and so on. Well, yeah, this is this is a little bit of a contradiction. What what am I supposed to be doing here? And um, yeah, the more I researched it, the more I realized that. Um, Actually, the way the society is designed currently is not really working, I guess. Um, I, I think it works for for um, situation where like when I was, say, single, it was great. I could just spend all my time, all my energy, put it all into work. But I guess if I were a carer, and I'm not saying necessarily a parent, um, I need to look after elderly parents or um, or someone else, um, another um, a relative. Um, things are much harder. It's much harder to have a career in that situation, uh, or to be even a useful member of society. I guess in the economic sense. Yeah, yeah, and or, I think yeah. it, it's so interesting too because you you've homeschooled your son. And yeah. so it's like you've almost been like the early adopter of the way that everybody has to work now with having their son or their their kids at home. And, but you've done that intentionally because you felt that that's important. Well, like all of the research that you've done, right? So it's kind of like yeah. you've reshaped your whole life and you're, you know, this is something you want to bring in for everybody. Yeah, exactly. I guess, yeah, in my case, um, it was quite um, easy because of my role and everything to actually, um, uh, to initially to be a working mom and so on. Um, my, my son's dad was quite supportive and so on, but really I, I did realize that the workplace in general is not really supportive of our role as carers, really. Um, so yeah, I, I did start thinking, well, we, we really need to start making the workplace as much more human. And, and what does this mean in terms of, we obviously want to have a successful economy and to have good businesses. So the workplace, the, the, the work processes and the roles, they do need to be optimized. Um, they, they, they need to be designed well. Um, but at the same time, we need to make sure that this, um, this design is also optimized for this role of carers in our society. Um, so that people who do want to look after children, the elderly, uh, relatives, people with disabilities anything like that any caring role the workplaces the way we live the way we work it needs to support that mm -hmm. that's what makes us humans that's what made us successful as a, as a civilization our caring role um the fact that we we were able to work as a uh as a society we helped each other um that's what made us progress so rapidly so think that's kind of if the future of work and living the way I see it is it'll be really um, merged especially with all this new technology coming out it's really helping us so I'm really hoping to see technology step in and help us become more human so that we can become caring more caring um, just a better society a kinder better society um, but with the help of that technology mm. And I think, I think too, like I was listening to a podcast last night or actually listening to the Canadian CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, um, and talking about one of the major topics was how all of this stuff with the coronavirus has really exposed how 
um, and this is speaking to the Canadian context, but how, and I suspect it's similar in other countries, how under-supported and under-resourced caring is, for especially for the elderly. And it's really exposed mm-hmm. how important that is and how we haven't valued that as a society. So I think it's like this conversation is now like, okay, we really need to be think, rethinking our priorities. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And I am a big believer that it, the, the solution is, I'm not, it's not necessarily that the government needs to pay for everything or the business needs to pay for everything or women need to just provide free labor and just do it regardless and just ignore all the negatives. I think it needs to be some sort of hybrid combination where, where business recognizes that this is a must just like our roles are not say our work is not 24 seven. We do have rights for annual leave. We have rights for, for holiday pay and so on. I mean, work has been designed around some constraints. And I think this is an important constraint as well to incorporate into mm. the, the design of work and workplaces and, and, um, and everything else. And so there's a role to be played by everyone, really the businesses, the government and us as individuals to come up with some new innovative ideas so that caring is really completely embedded and our humanity is embedded in, in how we live and how we work. Mm. Um, and um, I guess um, I'll ask you, Kate, the same <laughs> question. What was your biggest event? Well, I'm um, sure it was actually probably two things. And it's almost like I was thinking about this and it's almost like there's a series of a whole bunch of different things of, that I think really changed my life in smaller ways rather than maybe one or two. Because um, I, have, I haven't had a child, so um, I think if I did, that would probably also be that big moment for me. Um, but I actually think of two. And uh, the first is that, uh, yeah, doing my PhD, because I almost feel like that's like a, a child, like a, an idea baby. But in doing that, um, there was a really transformative moment for me, which was that I, I had been researching social media before it was called social media. Um, and, and narrowing my PhD topic onto Facebook. And as I was doing that, I had kind of gone in with this whole mentality of the way that the technology had been designed was by kind of like a bunch of antisocial computer nerds who didn't really understand how people interact. And that's why it was designed in a way that I found was not really good for humans. It was not really like the way that we wanted to interact. And so at the time, it was very much... Um, I mean, we're used to this now, but at the time, this is like 2008. Um, so Facebook was only four years old, and it was just becoming a mainstream a t- a thing that was being adopted. And as this was happening, it, it started out um, as being a, a school, like it was at universities and colleges. And so people were using it in that context. And then slowly Facebook opened it up for everybody. And so as that shift was happening, you had all these people who suddenly had information that was for that college context, university context, opened up to the whole world. And so you're getting people, you know, fired for stuff that they put on social media. Their landlords would kick them out, all sorts of stuff that people were having, being super shocked about. And this is just normal now. We've just, this is just part of everyday life. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, this is just because like Mark, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world don't actually understand, um, the way that people like regular people interact and have designed the software that way. And uh, so I had, and this is, you know, when you could still kind of do this was I went to um, 
uh, I was at South by Southwest, which is this big technology conference in Austin, Texas, and Zuckerberg was there speaking, doing a keynote, and I went to a Facebook event and had was able to actually go and talk to him. So I asked him about this because I was feeling really curious about, you know, what, you know, now that he's seeing that it's causing all of these problems for people, what academics at the time called context collapse, when your different contexts of your life merge together. And I said, well, now that you've seen all this, are you going to change the design of Facebook? And he's like, no, 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 no. It, and he told me that it was an intentional design because he believed that if you didn't, if you weren't the same in all contexts of your life, same in the way you are in at school and in temple or church or with your family and with your friends and with your boyfriend and at work, if you're not the same, being the same, you're pretending and it's fake. So he he's like, no, I believe that you're lying if you're not the same. And so he, and I, I realized from this conversation that he had actually intentionally done everything. It wasn't like being antisocial, like he didn't know. It was very clearly intentional. And so that completely changed my thinking about social media and the internet and the way it had been designed. And my PhD ended up being basically about how Zuckerberg and Facebook had intentionally used the platform to change the way that we think about privacy and sharing. And that just really was a huge moment for me. Um, and really now look, the longer term impact of that is that if we only have people who are thinking like that, which is a particular way of thinking, um, we have software that everybody has to use that doesn't really serve everybody, right? So yeah. you're Mark Zuckerberg, that serves your goal that you believe you have these certain beliefs about the world. Most people don't think about the world that way. They like their privacy. For women, for example, there's a number of reasons to have privacy and why privacy is important for our safety. So that just really shaped my thinking in that way. Um, and yeah, really changed my, 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 my research. Um, and then the second thing, this is a bit of a smaller thing, but um, so this is how you and I met was basically uh, where we, so I live in Perth in Fremantle, well, in Fremantle near Perth in Western Australia. And then you live in Sydney on the other side of Australia. And we met yeah. when you were living here. Um, and it was because they were trying to build a freeway through a wetland, like an endangered wetland with endangered animals and flora and fauna that are really like critically endangered and important. Um, and so we both had decided independently, this is before we met, but you know, we were going to go there and, and, and protest against it. So I had started a pop-up co-working space in the wetland that you could go to, to go and do your work, you know, not be like, because we were being accused of being, you know, um, professional protesters and you know all this nonsense so I was like no we're all you know we're all serious people with jobs who have you know yeah professionals right? yeah we're professionals yeah, who value plenty of lawyers yeah. and accountants yeah, exactly and anyone yeah. at all the different <laughs> members of society yeah 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 so that was how we met um yeah. from that <laughs> but the for me we had so many people saying you're not gonna save the wetland don't worry don't waste your time there's nothing you can do and the best part of the, the, the end of the story is that we actually did stop them from doing it. Yeah. And yeah. for me, it was like, you know what? You, everybody has power to change the world if you really believe in something and if you put an effort into it. When you don't have, when you believe you don't have power, that's when you don't have power. And so just that and belief in, yeah, you can actually make a difference if you really believe it. And even if you don't make a difference, at least you tried, you did your best, but we all have the power to change it. And if we all remember that, think about how different the world could be. So it's kind of like these two stories that have like really shaped my thinking. Um, but also I think are really important for like 
what we're thinking about right now as as we're imagining this new future. <laughs> <laughs> and also, do, do you see a big role of um, AR, VR, given you're a real expert in this and industry leader in this space? Um, in, yeah. In this future? Yeah, that's and that's interesting because Facebook does own one of the big VR companies. And so it's kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, it's an interest. It's interesting. But um, I have been talking about that idea of um, because I'm like you, I'm kind of an early adopter of the future of work and the new future of work. Um, You know, that flexible work, working from home, working from anywhere. And what I had seen when the second wave, because we had VR in the 90s, was it didn't really catch on because it wasn't really good enough. We're in the second wave of VR now. When it first started, the first first new headset started to come out. Um, what I'd started predicting was that we were going to actually, VR was going to enable us to really work from anywhere, but enable that collaboration in a way that we couldn't before. Because, you know, Skype is great, Zoom is great, but you don't have those same kind of serendipitous um, interactions so yeah. um, right now I'm actually doing some work with um, a tech company here uh, called Frame VR, and we're doing um, creating VR spaces, basically VR venues for events where delegates can come with headsets and have that experience where they'll actually get to be physically, well, in VR, but virtually physically present. Um, and then they can have a breakout, like a networking event that's actually, you can move around, you can talk to people. And so that ability to actually connect with people around the world and not have to travel, which is great for, you know, helping climate change. Um, yeah, VR is really, really, I think this, this, what's happening now is accelerating that adoption. So I think this is going to happen a lot sooner and and there's already demand for these VR events. And yeah, I think you were, you're saying today that what was it? Um, one of the big, the telcos here, Optus is already saying that. Yes. That yeah, they're basically saying that um, um, this is one of the largest telcos in Australia, Optus. Um, yeah, they're saying that um, they expect many of their staff to be working remotely from now on, even after the coronavirus finishes. That this is a permanent change. Yeah. So I think that that speaks to um, yeah, the the move towards being more open to different and accelerating that adoption of new technologies to enable it. Because again, Zoom is, Zoom is great, but it doesn't allow for the same kind of stuff. And then um, a- VR are, are, is one thing, but then there's also AR, augmented reality, and mixed reality, which are very similar. I won't get into like the nitty gritty of the, the differences between them, but the HoloLens, which is Microsoft's, it's augmented reality. So the idea of overlaying digital onto the real, um, that has a lot of really great op- applications for people being able to work together on things because it means like um, instead of being somewhere else entirely in VR together, like in a virtual environment, I can actually put on the headset and you can point to things and and remotely. So it allows for um, you to go and, for example, inspect things virtually, but it allows that mixing of the real and the virtual. So I think almost like it's it's not as developed as VR, but that I think is going to be the bigger application because it just allows for that kind of um, almost like being there and being able to manipulate um, spaces when you're from, from the other side of the planet. So kind of exciting. exciting. (laughs) And do do you think also AR VR will actually merge with our, 
with the humans somehow with our <laughs> with our day-to-day life oh that that's i mean that's yeah that's getting into that whole transhumanism thing and as much as i love technology i am still like i i'm not into uh being a cyborg or being a transhumanist i'm not i don't really want implants i like being human the way that i am i like to be able to mm-hmm. um use technology and then take it off and put it away and go, you know, for a walk in nature. And I think that's so important for being human. So yeah, I, uh, a lot of people are into that. Uh, Um, I don't, I'm not a really big fan of that. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of like a, um, an interesting, an interesting futurist (laughs) in that I love technology, but also like, I love being in nature and being human. So yeah. Same, same here. I think it, it can be, there is a place um, where I feel like if technology can help me with, say, with my health or something, but in a very kind of non-invasive way, if it could tell me, you know, that something could go wrong or I'm in a danger zone and I should do something about it, like like that, basically. But I can switch it off if I yes. want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, something like that. Um, but yeah, quite interesting. Um, and um, I guess um, I um, I do did want to ask you how how you actually see. Um, I you know me, I, I have very particular views about how I see the future of work. <laughs> yeah. um, I was wondering how you see uh, what what does the work typical workplace look like for you, say in 10, 20 years time? Yeah. And I think we're probably pretty aligned with this, which is why we've, Mm -hmm. you know, we've had all these conversations (laughs) about it and thought it would be important to start sharing these conversations and opening that up to um, a wider audience, but also a wider group of people to have the conversations with. Um, Ideally, I think it's the same as you as I would really like to see it be um, something that is redesigned to work for everybody. Because right now, as you say, it kind of if you're young and healthy and um, you don't have kids, you don't have people you have to take care of, you don't have health issues, um, maybe you don't have um, – if you're, you know, you don't have a disability, um, it works for you. But any of those other things, it starts to make it difficult and um, being able to make it work. But also not necessarily – I think the other thing that I'm really liking now is that people are seeing how – how much joy you can get in simplicity and how much joy you can get in rewards other than your career. So, you know, spending time with your family and spending time with your friends and you don't actually need a lot to be happy. And I think we've been very distracted. So it's, it's kind of enabling, like how do we uh, allow people to um, be creative and entrepreneurial and still have those important things in life. So yeah, the, the revaluing the importance of caring and, um, Another thing I think we want to talk about in a future episode is that idea of the um, universal basic income, right? A lot that, and I think that allows for that to happen. And there's talk now of that being brought in, which is basically everybody gets a minimum income that they can live on. And then if they want to have more material um, goods in their life, then they can work and make more money on top of that. But it's like a standard that everybody gets no matter what. And uh, the early research on that shows that it definitely encourages people to be entrepreneurial and creative and do things um, and care rather than just, you know, being focused on the career. So I think, yeah, that's a very kind of broad, broad kind of um, vision. But I think, yeah, we're very aligned in that 
And I think a lot of people are feeling that, right? It's like going to be hard to go back to working like crazy, like the way we were before. Everybody's kind of gotten used to this new pace. Broken the habit loop. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like, um, I mean, in general, from a, a neuroscience perspective, I guess, although I'm not a neuroscientist, but from all the research that I've done, <laughs> um, it seems that you're, you're most capable of um, producing innovative ideas and just thinking well, thinking logically, thinking creatively when you're not scared. So if you're really scared or angry or one of those intense emotions, you can't actually think properly. So I guess that whole idea of universal basic income obviously needs some thought around how, how to make it work. But ultimately, we as humans will work better if we're not really scared. So if we feel safe and secure, um, but yeah, there's that whole science around motivation, what motivates, why some people are motivated, why some others are not. But yeah, I do feel that um, we're all better off as a society and we're safer as a society if people have at least a minimum basic um, mm. wage and um, then that kind of uh, makes the whole uh, the whole place much better. And um, yeah, there's... Um, because I think you'd also talked about how um, there there's research also. This isn't just about like, because I think when we talk about flexibility in the workplace um, for women, it's often just like with the women that we think about. But you've looked at also in your research around how it's really important for bringing up healthy kids um, and the future of society. So this isn't, this is like a very long-term game that's actually important for everybody. And also men probably want to be spending more time with their kids and having more sanity in their lives as well. So it's, this is really uh, for everybody. Exactly. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not just even kids. I mean, the way I personally see um, the future workplace um, is um, we, I feel like we will, we will be um, almost merging our home life with our um, work life um, we, and technology certainly will be helping with all of that. But ultimately, we as humans, we're a social species. Um, I, yeah, I'm not sure whether the whole current suburbia situation will keep happening. I feel like we might have these mini Silicon Valley type areas, maybe regional areas um, all around the country. Um, like many hubs where people uh, live uh, close to work or maybe work is actually, it's more a community-based thing. Maybe we will have more of these co-working spaces where everyone can come and they might be even attached to the school and the, the aged care home. Uh, that's just some of the ideas out there. I'm sure many people have many ideas about this, but I really feel like we will... Um, our, our normal life will merge with, with our work life. Um, and all the technology that's coming out is really helping make it happen. So it's actually, actually the change is not so much in technology as it is more around infrastructure. Mm. So, because the biggest impact here is for our infrastructure, for our real estate. So, and now with the coronavirus, everyone can see many large companies are looking at their expensive real estate and thinking, well, do we really need to be taking out these um, 
five, 10 year leases paying millions when uh, we could have a huge percentage of our workforce working remotely. Mm. What does that mean for us as a business? So mm. I really see big shifts, big changes coming, but like with anything to do with infrastructure and real estate, this takes many, many years for this to happen um, because of all the planning approvals and so on. And there's obviously large um, investments, but um, from what I can see, many councils, many regional councils in Australia do want to bring in the, the high-tech jobs, the innovation, the research, the R&D into their regional areas. And um, um, I just don't see why we should be living in these large, big cities um, and just bringing up all the, the real estate prices when... Um, and traffic yeah and, and traffic times. and so on yeah and really spending hours uh every day in traffic in the car um or in public transport when we could actually be all uh, living in regional areas yeah and spending more time with our families because we're not having to commute yeah. two hours a day <laughs> yeah exactly and just enjoying nature much more yeah. um yeah. and exactly and um it, it, it'll have, uh, I think, tremendous environmental benefits as well because, you know, if people have a lot less to drive, if everything is close, if your workplace, where your children are, where your parents are, if that's all close by, nearby, um, uh, to where you live and where you work, I mean, the, the environmental benefits coming out yeah. of that are huge, mm. but also the social benefits are huge. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, yeah, if, if, if we're moving into these high-tech jobs, um, the economy can really prosper, but with um, um, a much better lifestyle for all the residents mm. of the country. And so it's, it's almost like we're using digital technology to help us be more human again. Yes, yeah. exactly. And yeah. I think VR will have a huge, my personal view is VR will have a huge um, role to play in this. Mm. as well mm. yeah so I think, because I, think, I guess yeah sorry yeah go ahead <laughs> yeah I was just saying that I guess the biggest criticism to having remote workforce was this um, issue of not being able to interact just spontaneously and just not being able to grab someone next to you and just have a quick chat so I guess any technology that can help resolve that mm. that would be helpful mm. the serendipitous conversation Yes. Yeah. So I think I think that's a really great um, place to wrap because we've kind of given everybody a taste of the kinds of things we're going to talk about. Um, and I think it's also important to mention too. I think we didn't say this in the intro, but um, because you do a lot of work as a CFO now, um, you're seeing you're kind of at the the coal face and seeing what companies are experiencing and, and talking about. So you're kind of getting all this really juicy data that can help us. <laughs> we should have mentioned that at the beginning, but yeah. yeah. So you have this really yeah. um, good insight into what companies are thinking mm -hmm. about right now. Um, that is really, really yes. insightful. So yeah, so mm -hmm. stay tuned for future episodes. <laughs> yes, stay tuned. <laughs> Thanks, okay. Kate. Thanks, Kate. Okay. <laughs> and thanks, everybody, for listening to this first ever episode of the New Future Podcast.